Good morning listeners and welcome to the meeting room. Um, it's a brave and safe space where we have authentic conversations around um, racism and the country we live in. Um, this morning uh, we are quite chuffed because we haven't had young women um, speak on this podcast. We have Hannah and Gabby and Karen and I can say that we know them both from birth um, and so we're very excited to hear their views and I'll leave it up to them to introduce themselves. Um, hi, I'm Hannah um, and I'm a second year student at UCT doing um, linguistics history and English um, and yeah, also known Auntie Karen and Auntie Haley since birth. Um, Auntie Karen's my godmother. Um, Auntie Haley is basically my godmother. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's really cool to be here, to be on the podcast. Cool. Thanks, Anne. Um, hi, I'm Gabby. I'm currently in my third year studying occupational therapy at Stellenbosch University. Um, Haley's my mom, so <laughs> she has known me since birth. And I've also known Auntie Karen for a while. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to be here as well. Um, so all right, so we always start off this conversation with a question around growing up. What is it like to grow up? And for some of our guests, they've grown up in apartheid. But actually, um, Hannah and Gabby were born both in the post-apartheid in our democracy. So the question still stands, um, which is a big question. What was it like growing up? What has it been like thus far growing up in post-apartheid South Africa? Gabs, do you want to go? Um, I can. I think for me, I have almost been very oblivious to the fact that um, for a long time that people in the post-apartheid South Africa are still experiencing racism. Um, because I would say I never directly experienced the racism in myself, to myself, towards myself. Um, and so I think it also got to a point where when I got to high school, I almost subconsciously, don't know how to phrase it better, but became one of the white people in a sense. Um, so, you know, did things that they did to fit in. Um, and I, I went to an all-girls private school, which was predominantly white as well. Um, so, yeah, in terms of diversity, that was really limited. So my friendship group consisted of mainly white people. And um, I think I didn't realize it in the moment until about my trick, but mm-hmm. I would adapt and change myself to fit in um, because of the, I think it was also to do with the limited amount of people there was at my school. We were only a grade of 80 something. Um, So in terms of a variety of different people you could be friends of with, that was also very limited. Um, So I just did what I had to do almost to get through high school um, and make sure that I didn't, I'm not as outspoken as my mother or my father. Um, (laughs) So I'm, I'm not someone, um, who enjoys conflict or confrontation. Um, so I often would just take a step back rather than, than speaking out to avoid that and to avoid putting myself in a position where people don't like me or or people, um, yeah. So I think for me, I was very oblivious to the fact of mm. that it's still very prevalent in a post-apartheid South Africa. So what woke you up? Um, so I, in matric, I... Um, got accepted to study occupational therapy at Stellenbosch University. And in my matric class, there was quite a few people who had applied for for this course. Um, it was a very popular course at the moment. Um, for me, I'd worked 
really hard to get into that course when I knew I wanted to study occupational therapy. Um, I, yeah, I worked my butt off to get my grades up and not to blow my own horn or anything, but I mean, it wasn't just my grades. I was, I was a prefect. I played an instrument. I was involved in sports. Like I was all rounded. Um, and so (laughs) I, when I got accepted, I was the only one in my class to get accepted or to get What's it? Pre-accepted. I can't remember the word. Um, provisional. Oh, provisional acceptance um, into Stellenbosch University for occupational therapy. Um, and I, I was pretty excited about it. That same week that I got accepted to Stellenbosch, um, uh, UCT didn't accept me. So I was very hot, so heartbroken about that. Um, and then when Stellenbosch accepted me, I, I, I was overjoyed. Um, and at the time, you know, my family couldn't afford to send me to Stellenbosch and stay in res. Um, so we knew that would have, be something that I'd need to work on. Um, and I mean, I'm a Christian and the, and the Lord really had his hand over us. And um, I got a bursary as well, for which I didn't apply for, um, with acceptance into a residence. So it mean, meant my parents weren't paying for tuition, they were just paying for res, which was really just so amazing for me because it was something I really wanted to do. And then um, I remember we were speaking about it as a friendship group. Bear in mind, my friendship group was mainly white people. And um, one of the girls was upset, understandably, that she didn't get accepted into occupational therapy. Um, and another girl said, oh, yeah, but you have to understand that they need to accept a certain amount of people of color. Um, for me, that was my first, you know, shock because I was like, okay, I worked extremely hard to get here. Um, yes, the bursary I'm on is given to people of colour, but that is because of the history of oppression that we've been experiencing. Um, and so that for me, that kind of just belittled my acceptance completely. Um, and yes, her marks, her aggregate was higher than mine, but I mean, in terms of anything else she was doing, her academics, and she participated in sport, I think, the girl. Um, and so for me, I came home and I was just like feeling so upset. I was like, oh my word, did I take someone else's place? You know, because my marks were were worse than hers um so for me that was my first eye-opening experience where i was like okay you know these these people are my friends um and yet i just experienced my first direct form of racism that i was aware of um and so since then i've been more aware of it um since then my mom has also become very outspoken about it so it's something we speak about in our house a lot um, um and even with friends so it is now something um that my world revolves around. Thanks, guys. And Hannah. Hannah, how was that for you? Um, so it's interesting because I went to, it was almost like the opposite for me. Like, I think I got radicalized in high school because um, I um, I went to a predominantly white um, all-girls private school, um, primary school, and that really was like living in a bubble. And also because I, I mean, I was really privileged and still am to grow up in like, household that was like you know upper middle class type of vibe and um the people we mainly interacted with were also like you know in that like i guess sphere and so the at home and socially and then also at school um was very very um yeah sheltered and in a bubble um like i remember straightening my hair in, in primary school like getting it like chemically straightened and just wanting to really um I guess assimilate um, and I had wonderful friends and I'm still friends with a lot of the girls that I met there um, <clears throat> but yeah it was a really really sheltered environment and quite a damaging one now that I think back to it um, like it was an excellent education but I think 
terms of like sense of self and all of that, mm. very damaging. Um, and then I went to an incredible um, private girls high school, not without its faults, but um, certainly in comparison, amazing. And like saw girls that looked like me um, and met all types of people. The school has a really great boarding house that um, a lot of um, African nationals um, stay in and um, all, and the school in general has a lot of um, international students from all around Africa. Um, and so getting to meet them and then also getting to meet coloured girls who'd had the same experience as I did, i.e. like going to private primary schools um, and but who looked like me and, and had the same culture as I did was just mind-blowing um, and really healing and so I um, so that for me was incredible and that was kind of where I clicked onto the fact that like my experience was really odd that experience of um, feeling out of place and like I was weird and wrong wasn't normal um, and that it could be different um, and I think that's when I realized oh I'm living in a, a world <clears throat> that isn't like the one my parents grew up in at all but in a lot of ways I feel the same as as they sometimes do um, certainly my mom um, and so getting to high school was like really amazing for me because um, like I said I think it radicalized me um, a lot of outspoken I met a lot of outspoken women a couple outspoken teachers and we had loads of really great opportunities to talk about these things um, and Often it was mainly the girls of colour talking about it, which is, I think, was quite disheartening sometimes because we're always talking about it. Mm. So, but you need other people in the conversation, like white people in the conversation mm. as well. But, um, yeah, so I think, I think I got angrier when I got to high school. I got a lot angrier, um, which I don't think is always a good thing. Um, and I think I got a lot more um, disheartened because mm. um, I think I kind of grew up thinking everything was okay because you hear all these like this narrative of we're in a post-apartheid South Africa mm. um, and obviously it isn't I mean the I rainbow think, nation yeah and I think I say it isn't the same but I think for a lot of people it is the same yeah. um, you know but legally I'm allowed to do whatever I want mm. um, but I but I don't know if that much has changed um, in terms of interaction, like socially, like how you interact with people, how people feel, certainly economically and geography, mm. geographically, not a lot has changed. And I realized all of that in high school, which was, yeah, quite a big thing. Um, yeah, I think a lot of a lot of my experience of living in a post-apartheid South Africa has been one of like anger. Mm. Um, and I, and now that I'm having conversations with people, like maybe some hope as well which is a nice feeling there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. You spoke about uh, often um, when we speak to women who lived in, or people who lived in apartheid, uh, the anger comes through. Mm. Um, but what, what specifically made you angry? Mm. Like what, what was it? Because I mean, as you, you've said, um, you know, all the law is you're all equal before the law. We are yeah. all equal before the law. But what is it specifically that fueled your anger? I think when I initially kind of started to be more aware of everything, it was that I'd wasted a lot of my younger years feeling like how I looked or whatever was wrong. And that's just like a wasted child, like a wasted, those are just wasted years. And then as I started to have conversations with people, um, just realized how little people's like thinking had changed. 
like the way um, some of the girls would interact with like the girls of color, how their parents would interact mm. with the girls of color. Like I remember I was at one of my friend's houses and I'd never been there before. And I was with another girl who knew this family for ages. And I saw the mom, we saw the mom and like, obviously I greeted her and she literally like didn't look at me and she greeted the other girl that was with us. And I thought, okay, she must have misheard me, like not heard me. And I greeted her again and she just didn't talk to me. She did the same thing to my mom at a hockey match um, when another parent introduced the two of them, like she wouldn't talk to my mom. And then when I became head girl, like she suddenly messaged my mom and was like, oh, we should like do dinner. And it's just like the most like dehumanizing thing. Mm -hmm. And having interactions like that was just, yeah, incredibly angry, especially when it happened to my mom. Because for me, it's like, okay, but like, this is your peer. Mm -hmm. and, and what has changed if you won't even acknowledge them and see them, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so that, that was what angered me, I think, of seeing how little people have changed when given, I mean, when apartheid ended, there was no, like it ended without, you know, people having to really pay reparations mm -hmm. because of the TRC and like how people could get amnesty. A lot of people didn't even get like receive consequences for the horrific things they'd done. And so to take that and really like look at gift tools in the mouth and just not even try to change who you are and change your views. I think that is like unthinkable to me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those are the kind of things that would anger me. That mm -hmm. seeing how my mom was still getting disrespected and seeing how um, I was going to school with these people, but I often wasn't seen as their equal, mm. um, if not by them, by parents. Mm. Yeah. yeah mm. So. And your story and Gabby's <clears throat> um, experience of um, racism, uh, which woke her up. There's those. There's the similar similarities, isn't mm. it? So, so one often hears in the narrative, oh, it's. Um, you know, these are isolated incidents of race, racism that happen in schools and we make we must make too much of it because we're the rainbow nation and we've all moved on in the equality and all that jazz. Um, and, and yet, if you really sit and listen to the stories of uh, teenagers at schools, and it's across the board, government schools, private schools, there are these, there's one continual um, thing that's the same and it's that you experienced these kinds of very hurtful, um, you know, microaggressions or overt racist stuff continuously. Mm. Um, and and not just from parents and peers, but I, I would imagine from teachers teachers too. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Our next question is... <laughs> um, <let's> <laughs> so, because it's been Women's Month in South Africa... Um, which was actually yes. August, yeah. <laughs> even though we're now yeah. in September. Um, uh, Hayley and I were thinking around, well, what is it like to be women in South Africa? Um, Hale, yeah, and, and we've just read a stat that says, and I'm sure that it's much higher because these obviously, the stat is based on reported cases, that about 51% of women have said that they've been sexually abused or assaulted or whatever. Um, and I'm sure that's status high because mm. there are many women who aren't reporting it. Mm. As young women in South Africa, um, how how do you navigate this and how have you experienced it or your friends have experienced it and like what are your views on how as women we work through this and you know to change it? I think for me, as I mentioned before, I very much grew up in this bubble. 
Um, and not to say that I'm out of that bubble now, I still think I have a very far way to go in terms of um, becoming as radical as the other three in the room. Um, but <laughs> I think when I got to university, um, the university I attend is predominantly Afrikaans. Um, and I am stereotyping here. But a lot of the time, things like race and gender-based violence are not spoken about in Afrikaans families and in the Afrikaans culture. Um, in my first year, the whole um, uh, UCT girl who was raped and killed um, was very prevalent and spread to our university as well. Um, and I remember speaking, you know, it was something we spoke about because it was it, we, we as women, it was very prevalent and scary to us. Um, and I remember speaking about it with my friends, um, and I have quite a few Afrikaans friends. And for them, it, it, the, they changed the, the subject completely. For them, it was not something they spoke about. Um, and for me, I think it was the first time I realized that we've grown up completely differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in a school, yes, which did have its faults, but these things were spoken about, if not in school environments amongst the students. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've always been in an environment where these difficult conversations we have, whether it, be, whether it was race, whether it was religion, whether it was gender-based violence. But for these girls, I don't think it was at all spoken about in schools and their families. Um, so this was also a wake-up call for me. Okay, you know, I then started be- to become more aware. Um, it was also the, the time where I was um, moving out of my bubble and becoming less oblivious. Um, but I've also grown up with a family who is very, was very cautious. And so it's little things that you don't think where my mom would be like, okay, if you're going for a run, mm-hmm. you know, um, leave your location on. Or now, even when, now that I'm driving, my mom's like, please leave your location on. And for you, that's like second nature. But then I think back to it and I'm like, why? Why do I have to keep on doing this? Now when I go for a run and I wear bike shorts instead of leggings I'm like oh my word I'm feeling self-conscious that mm. men are looking at me if I see a man walking towards me in the road I turn another way um and for me that's like why they're almost infringing on my freedom mm. because now I'm doing things to make sure that I'm not mm. I don't end up as one of these stats because it's so prevalent in our country um and even if I go out for a night before COVID obviously you know it's very much like okay I'm not going to I would almost take that role on as the mother in the group because I was like, I don't want to ha- anything to happen to any of us. So I'd make sure that we had a way of getting home safe. Um, when I got back, I'd message my parents immediately to say I'm home so they wouldn't worry. Um, I remember once I forgot to message them and they called me early the next morning. They're like, are you home safe? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not only affecting me, but my parents because they're constantly worrying about me. Mm-hmm. So I think it is something that is very prevalent in our country. And I think... Um, you don't realize it all the time until you look at all these little things that you've been doing and you're almost like, okay, but I'm doing that because I'm a woman. Mm, I mean, my brother yeah, doesn't do those same, yeah. do those same things, yeah. you know? I mean, he took an Uber home by himself yeah. the yeah. other night. And for me, I'm too scared to get in yeah. an Uber by myself. We have a friendship group dance coming up and we're like, okay, it's fine. There's five girls in the car. We'll just take an Uber. And one of the girls was like, mm, it's quite late at night. I'll rather drive and not drink. And take an Uber because I don't feel, I don't think it's safe for just us girls to be in the Uber. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, even on campus, my campus is the medical campus. Um, so it's not in the safest area, um, but it's still, you know, very secure in terms of who they allow in. Um, but if I go visit a friend on the other side of campus, I make sure I leave before it gets dark because I'm not sure who will be walking back. 
Um, so yeah, I think it's very much, you know, you, there are those instances where you're like, okay, I know that's a form of gender-based violence, but then you're also like, oh my word, things I've been doing because I'm so afraid as a woman um, also really gives you a wake-up call as well. So, yeah. And I would imagine it impacts the psyche of a woman because yeah. obviously guys don't have to be as aware no. as, as we do. So it's again that we equal before the law, but a law and the Lord, <laughs> <laughs> we are equal between no, both. Yeah, that's another conversation. Yeah, that's another but, <laughs> Or it's the same conversation. <laughs> but we're not actually. Because yeah. we we still needing to be extra cautious and limiting yeah. where we go, how late we stay out, mm-hmm. what we wear. Um, I think also I don't know if it was for you, Hannah, but yeah. growing up in an all girls junior school yeah. and an all girls high school, yeah. you're not exposed to yeah. men, to boys. So when I got to university, being exposed to other people for the first time, <laughs> yeah. I'm also now staying in a co-ed res, and even then yeah. I lock my door from the inside at night yeah. because I'm so yeah. worried. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was also a big wake-up call because now I'm like, oh my word, you know, the other human human <laughs> gender. Um, it's quite... So I think, yeah, also growing up in an all-girls school sheltered me to an extent yeah. because I was only being surrounded by girls as well. And even though you had a brother. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that was just, it's interesting. Yeah. You must have parented your children. So when some of the things you said about being safe, I would do with my children, which is the one thing, when they get home, they need to tell me they're home. Yeah. But I don't ever think oh, you must put your location on. I never think that. And when they go running or James goes um, free diving or whatever, I'm like, bye. Yeah. You know, I don't think, put your location on so I know that's not in my... Yeah. But as a woman, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about because I, as a 50-year-old woman, do exactly the same things. If you Where you park, uh, yeah. you know, depending on the time of day, you're going to be not by yourself, blah, blah, blah. And it's you. so you're always living in a way that is... To ensure that you are safe. Yeah. And some of that you don't even realize you're doing. You just do it. And as you say, we do almost parent differently. Yeah. Because I mean, Aaron went to his friend in Stelis. And he constantly said, please let us know you're there. But I wouldn't check on you no. necessarily. And you've just said you didn't know how he was And I didn't home. know how he was getting home. <laughs> Whereas Gabby, yeah, I would like, yes. who's yeah. coming with you? Yes. We can't, you know, so you do. Yeah. And it's, it's unconscious. It's an yes. unconscious thing that you do. Which doesn't mean that the violence, because South Africa is such a violent country and it's not just gender-based violence. Men do experience uh, violent acts towards them um, Mm. in whatever. So it's not not that we, it's just when we're thinking about gender in terms of violence that it is different. But I also think it's, I mean, for me, a big thing is having to watch what I wear, which I think is ridiculous. I I think that, um, you know, no matter what I wear, it should never be put on me as yeah. my fault yeah. for being... Like, the other day I went for a run on campus, and I just got new exercise clothes. I was so excited to wear it. You know, it was this cute little matching set, yeah. um, a, a short-ish top, and a, and a bike shorts. But just running, I felt like I had to be so self-conscious mm-hmm. of, you know, that people were watching me. Then when I got back to res, I, like, changed immediately because I was like, oh, my word, I don't know, you know. Um, or I, like, put on a jacket so that people didn't see me. And even on a night out... Like something we say when we used to go out in Stellenbosch in the clubs was don't wear a skirt because yeah. you don't know whose hand could could yeah. come up sort of thing. So it's us having to constantly watch what we wear, what even what we say because, yeah. you know, that can rile someone up, um, which is, which I think is... What do you mean by that? Um, you know, just when, you, when you're in the... Especially when you're in a party environment like Stellenbosch, I would say... Um, 
often you're interacting with other people when there's alcohol involved. Mm. Um, and it's very easy to say something. Like I said, I'm not a confrontational person, mm. but I've gotten a lot more outspoken than I was in high school in the sense that if I don't agree with something, I'm going to tell you I don't agree with. Not in a rude way, but I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say I don't think that's... Um, and very easily people can get riled up by that. Yeah. Um, and then you, you almost feel like, okay, let me backtrack. This person has alcohol in them, whether this be another woman or a man. Um, I don't know from this point if they're going to get violent or if they're going to leave the case. Um, so let me just rather not say that because... I, I don't know where the situation is going to go. Mm. Um, and I mean, that's not only specifically with men, that can happen with anyone. Um, but when you are living in a country like South Africa, mm. um, it, it happens. And the fact that every man you see on the street could be a potential mm. person mm. who um, disrupts your safety as well, I think. And you like, and you start to realize how early, like I was thinking about this the other day, how early it starts. Like the first time, and like, and what you were saying about what you wear, like nothing you wear is going to change how they react to you like because i remember walking down um i don't know what road it is somewhere in rondebosch um with a friend and i was wearing like this old black like this huge black coat that i used to have polo neck long black pants um and i still got catcalled mm-hmm. like someone took the time to roll their window down like what a waste of time and catcalled me and mm-hmm. i think i must have been like 15 at the sure. time mm-hmm. not even 14 because i'm birthday at the end of the year and it's like really dude like i'm complete mm. and look whether i was like naked or covered up he shouldn't have done anything but I, the fact of the matter was i, I was covered up mm. and i was a young kid and they still like felt that they had the right to like objectify me and sexualize mm. me like that and like when you what you're talking about with the whole party thing like again when i was i think it must have been grade nine i was at a party and i didn't drink and but i'm um, i have friends who did and one of my mates, she was like a bit tipsy and there was a guy who's much bigger than she was who was like coming on to her. In theory, it's like fine, whatever, shoot your shot. But then she clearly wasn't interested and she told me. So I told him, just like back off, dude, like she's not into it. He got like really angry with me. Like he started calling me like a bitch and like, mm. and look, I'm not like, I don't really care if a guy gets like that with me. Like I'm strong enough to be, but I shouldn't have to be. I shouldn't mm. have to. And she should have been okay without me being there, you know? Mm. And she just wasn't, like she wouldn't have been. And um i don't think he would have like you know i don't know what he would have done i don't think he was a you know would have hurt her but the fact she didn't want to hook up with him that night and she didn't want that and but he was drunk and and she was as well and and you realize that oh, it's just there's this lack of like awareness mm-hmm. of other people's boundaries and like other people's worth in that sense um and so like the saddest yeah. thing for me so far in this conversation is that you girls you young women are the next generation and yet you still like mm. you, you're talking about young men who are, they're, they're also in your generation. Yeah. So, like, nothing seems to, even though we're having these conversations and there's an awareness about gender-based violence, I mean, there's an awareness that something has to change, it doesn't seem to me that actually anything is changing. I think though it's also, I'm sorry, I'm speaking a lot, but I think yeah. it's also, it's very important that it's what we're taught. I mean, yeah. for me, the first thing that stood out for me is, our church is very toxic. I'm going to put it out there. But um, one of the things yeah. we had in, in youth, we had a whole sermon about how women shouldn't wear tights because it's yeah. tempting for men. And for me, I was like, but what if I want to wear tights? Why, is why, yeah, why, why, is the, why can't the man control these? <laughs> why is he strong enough? Yeah. Yeah. Why am I the one 
having to while you him. having to um, make sure that he behaves exactly that's exactly, what's exactly. so i think it's we say it all the time but us as girls yeah. are taught even you know that with my mom fault. if i wear something to yeah. show my mom will say listen yeah. you know as 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 a worrying mother she's going to say that to mm. me if i'm going out um but it should be the man who's being taught listen don't look at a girl's butt yeah. when they're wearing tights watch yourself mm. um why why can't i wear tights mm. because you are feeling tempted sort of thing when you run without a shirt on yeah. i also feel tempted but i don't catcall you yeah i keep it to myself that sort of thing. It's like so, the classic thing of like teach men not to rape, not girls how not to be raped. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We really you stop it at the source. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's not me. Yeah. It's you. And not to say and men can't be raped. Yeah. I think I yeah, think yeah, yeah, yeah. men do experience gender-based yeah. violence as well. I think it just is more prevalent yeah, than women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which has got to do with the fact that we can't get away from, which is in general, men are stronger than women. So yeah. you know. But also, if you look at our anatomy. Mm, men are stronger than women. Yeah. Um like if a man comes to me and pins me down, I'm not going to be no. able to do anything about yeah. it no matter how hard yeah. I fight yeah. back. And it's almost you know throughout my years it's things like oh my mom telling me we should go get self yes. uh, self defense Defense. classes. Yeah. And I'm on I'm on the pull for my skin. Um yeah. and I remember my mom saying something to me, you know, <gasps> you should always remember to take mm. it because you never know what yeah. could happen. And for me that's scary. I never thought it, I mean I'm yeah. not on the pull for contraception yeah. at all. It's yeah. for my skin. But the fact that you know, that was such an important thing yeah. because yeah. I yeah. never know what could happen. Yeah. But I mean I was talking to my doctor about that the other day because I used to be on the pull again for my skin and then I stopped it. But like I was talking to her and I was saying like I obviously don't and again it's not for contraception. Like I don't feel safe being in this country. Well, obviously in the like, honestly in the world really mm. and not being on some form of contraception because sure. I don't I don't want to have that you know yeah. but and then I was saying so should I get like a less like maybe an IUD or an implant or something and she was saying like and we had this like really honest conversation because I don't want to have you know like, have a traumatic experience mm. and then have to deal with it like in another way and like the fact that it's like this weird mm. hypervigilance that we all experience, which is which is a trauma response. It is. Yeah. Like hypervigilance is a trauma response. And yeah. why am I having to think about that? Yeah. If I'm not using it for contraception, yeah. there shouldn't be a need for me to be using it. But there but also, is. Yeah. How expensive is contraception? Yeah. Yeah. Like think about that. Condoms you get for free. I mean, at my varsity, there's condoms in the bathroom. You can take it for free. Yeah. Yet I'm paying a hundred and something rand for a contraceptive um, when... Because I'm having to worry about mm. falling pregnant if someone rapes me. Yeah. That sort of situation. And then, with the whole pro-life, pro-choice thing, having to face it, okay, but what if someone does yeah, rape yeah, me yeah, and yeah. I fall pregnant? I'll be so judged no matter what I do in that situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And so, if you think about... Especially about church communities. Yeah, yes. yeah, totally, sure. I think it's the... Sure. So, it almost feels, for me, we, we have this wonderful constitution, because we do have a wonderful constitution. Sure. It's just not working, sure. because somehow... You know, the same individuals who, whose rights were limited. I mean, women found it harder than men under apartheid, yeah. especially women of color. We still experience yeah. it. So we still, life is still harder to navigate as a woman, um, and more so as a woman of color in South Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've, I don't know if you ladies experienced it. I, and that's something I've noticed, that men will catcall me. Yes. But there'll be a white woman behind yeah. me and they won't do the same. It's, so when yeah. I got catcalled when I was wearing that thing, yeah. I had a friend next to me who was wearing shorts. White girl, amazing white girl, um, and he cackled me, uh, and she wasn't. Yeah, 
like it was like she was like uh, no it would be disrespectful yeah. to objectify her in yeah. a way but i was like so we, yeah like, open uh, so women women so are kind of bodies are almost more objectified but that's the, that's the thing that we haven't spoken about which is patriarchy yeah. the patriarchy the heart of gender-based violence i think is that we live in a patriarch patriarchic patriarchal society thank you Hedy. <laughs> um and um and that is the legacy of our apartheid. So we, so these kinds of conversations that we have on this podcast um, are hopefully to help people join those dots. That yeah. you know, just because we have a, a democracy doesn't mean that what went before suddenly was cut off, yeah. and now we've got this new country. No, the threads and the deep um, wounds that were inflicted on this country. Um, still continue and part of that is the fact that we have a legacy of um, rape and abuse of um, indigenous people and mm. slave women mm, yeah. uh, in our country and in this city in particular in Canada yeah, yeah. and you cannot just assume that that was cut off yeah. you know um, and so it's a whole mentality that well it's a lint I think it's a lint you know, be it's lint behavior that yeah. is come back from slavery times. But I mean, I think yeah. it's also still being taught. I mean, yeah. look at churches, for example. Oh, yeah. How many women leadership do you see? Yeah. So, and also, know, what's the, what, what are the lessons we're teaching men in the church? Yeah. yeah. Like, the language used, and maybe it's not what they mean. Like, I'm not going to presume to say it's what leadership means yeah, when yeah, they yeah. teach. But the language used is so, um, what's the word? It's very, um, oh, I don't know. What, it's masculine, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and condescending. Yeah, it's condescending, uh, it's and it's uh, also like um, it again puts the onus on women mm -hmm. to to make sure that men don't assault them, to mm -hmm. make sure that they are respected by men. When in actual yeah. fact, that respect should be innate, especially in yeah. a church yeah, yeah. community, where yeah. in theory we're all equal and, and made image in God's image. Yeah, and so and it just isn't like I've. I've asked like several people, like, can we do a, like a series on women in the mm. in the Bible? Because mm. there were wild women in the Bible, and like significant women in yeah. the Bible. Mm. And I think because we teach of our people who are admittedly really important, like Daniel, like Solomon, who were kind of crappy people sometimes, a little bit. Well, we teach a flawed, you know, and we teach that with no compunction, like, yeah. and, and and often those people did horrible things. To women, yeah, like you know, and um, but um, the language used is very much like we blame women, like we'll blame Bathsheba, yeah, what happened. Yeah. Um, but if we could teach young Christian yeah. men about the women in the Bible that yeah. they were worthy of respect, that they were you know loved mm -hmm. by God and yeah. by Jesus, I think that would go a long way to changing so many mindsets, yeah, but we just won't do it. Well, like, well if we just viewed women the way Jesus did, yeah. It would be. Um, it would be interesting. And, and I think to go back to what Hannah's talking about, I think that we can't. I think what you're saying is hugely profound, Hannah. Um, and it's it's what Gab said as well. It's it's the taught and the mind, that idea of of the way we think. So if you go back to your example of David, and um, and Bathsheba, mm -hmm. and and I was thinking, let's take someone like Rahab. Yeah. So so Rahab. The Bible call, says she was a prostitute, mm -hmm. but we don't unpack what that looks mm -hmm. like for women in those days. Like, why, why did women she? turn yeah. to prostitution? Yeah. Yeah. Because if you were not married and you didn't have a family to look after you, you actually were not yeah. able to make a living. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, that was the way that society was constructed. 
And if we come to modern day society and we ask those same kinds of questions, but when we label a woman, and, and she is labeled that in the, in the Bible, a prostitute, um, there's, there's a whole... There's a, there's a thinking that yeah. comes with well, that. Well, there's the assumptions. There's assumptions. Yeah. When we think of David and what happened yeah. there, we don't rightly speak about what happened. What he actually did was he raped yeah. Bathsheba. And, then he, and, he, and he used, he abused yeah. his position power. of power to, to, she had no, she couldn't say no. She had to come. The king mm. called, called her. And, um, and so we don't, we don't label him in the same way. Um, uh, he, he was a rapist. But like you're very willing to say about she was um prostitute. But we don't we call David a flawed king. Yes. Which yes. is uh, yes, and it's he, true. And it's true. But when she was, too is a flawed person, person surviving in her society. And also yeah. the, you brought up um, about the affair that David had and the woman Bathsheba would be like still today, mm. when an affair happens in the Christian it's very often the woman, woman. who takes the yeah, hardest yeah, yeah. Um, knock yeah. as opposed to I mean it takes yeah. two. Because ironically, women are sexualized in the church. Yeah, they're seen yeah, as yeah, like yeah. these hypersexual. Uh, yes, it's yes. like really sexual beings, and that's shamed yeah. and like derided. Yeah, and it's like, but you're you're doing that. You're yeah. seeing them yeah. as that. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I think that's when we're saying when we're talking about transformation, and you know, this whole process that needs to happen in order for one racism not to be so prevalent, two gender-based violence be so prevalent. It can't be the woman and it can't be the people of colour yes. having to make this revolution. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. feel like that's what everyone expects. Yes, yeah. yes. Like we're sitting here all women yeah. um talking about gender based yeah. based violence when when we should have a man because at the end of the day, you the human race is flawed and a man is going to listen more to a man about gender-based violence than he's yeah. going to listen to a woman. Yeah. And so it can't just be the woman, it can't just be the people of colour. Yeah. making a change because you know no matter how much effort we put in people listen to people who are similar to them yeah. and so a white person is going to listen to a white person regarding race which is not always the best thing because a white person has not experienced racism <laughs> but that that's what happens yeah, so yeah. we're talking about how that. you know mm-hmm. we need to teach men mm-hmm. not to be the racist yeah. but when we say we we almost subconsciously are referring to ourselves as we as women mm-hmm. yeah. and I think yeah. it's important that sure the men need mm. to be and I mean even like you were speaking about marriage um, in our church it's very prevalent for, for people to get married young and I, I know I'm not the only one who's experienced it because I've spoken to another mother's daughter who's also experienced it but there was a time where I was like oh my word I'm not in a relationship yeah. um, I'm, you know am I ever going to get married because and I almost attached my identity to be uh, married to a man uh, and that was subconscious on a subconscious level but that was what mm. the church was almost teaching mm. us that you know because the minute these people got married, the people who were single got excluded from the friendship group, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's this whole situation where within the church, I think it's the men who need to be stepping up and mm-hmm. teaching. Because it's not, you know, yes, we can make a difference coming from mm-hmm. women standing up, but the men aren't going to listen. That's just, especially in the church environment, which I think is still very conservative and, yeah. and doesn't speak about the things that need to be spoken about. Um, and so, the yeah. language around like being in a marriage is so I also think like dangerous in church like had chats with people about like when they were doing just like how, especially when it's around and because we're talking about gender-based violence like around sex and marriage mm-hmm. like there's no talk of consent like mm-hmm. there's like no like what like that is the very basis mm-hmm. of this like that particular thing like whether you're it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't matter if you're married to the person yeah. and the church doesn't like highlight that that just because you're married to that person yeah. they don't owe you they don't owe you 
sex. No. Like it's not, and there's no talk of consent and things like marriage counseling. Um, like the language is dangerous. Like yeah. don't withhold. Like what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you yeah, mean? Yeah, don't yeah. But even like little things, like I can't cook to save my life. I'm, I can't cook at all. <laughs> and you know, often I get I comments. Often I get <laughs> comments like, oh, "What happens one day when you have to cook for your husband?" And, <laughs> like, and I'm like, "Why can't he cook for me? Like, but why do I have to be the one that cooks?" Yeah. You know. So yeah. I think it's even little things like that which society teaches. So the stereotypes. Yeah. Um, submission the, the, the stereotype roles, which is once again, if we're talking about the church, but it's not only in the church, that this language that we have as a conservative country, because I mean, apartheid cons- was conservative. And yeah. so we've had to re-figure out what it looks like to be free people, men and women, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I mean, in the in the context of the, this role narrative, exactly, Gabs, like, you know, I, I struggle with it. And, I str- and Hannah, what you were just saying now about consent, um, I watched a video on it the other day, which was extremely helpful. And um, you just realize there's so many parts to consent. Yeah. And it's not just outside, you know, outside of marriage. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's exactly. also within marriage. Yeah. And, um, and I, th- I think that's extremely challenging what you've just said, that we need to have those conversations. Because what happens with the whole um, uh, notion for, in, for, for some churches or some Christian teaching around complementarianism, this headship stuff. Yeah. But but that can can be toxic in marriage. Yeah. Um around, you know, exactly what you said, withholding. Yeah. So there's that so gender based violence isn't only, I think, just extreme acts of violence yeah. on yeah. women. It yeah. can be mental, um, emotional, mental, emotional financial and like this notion of always having to um, serve so, someone, yeah. uh, you know, uh, be it in the kitchen or in the bedroom. Yeah. But I mean, if you look at, if you think we as English people are bad, I mean, being at a university that's predominantly Afrikaans, mm. gender-based violence, not the extreme acts, but as such, I mean, women are so oppressed. Sure. Stereotypically, I'm really stereotyping it in Afrikaans culture. I mean, you know, she's going to do your washing. I mean, I know so many of my friends who do their boyfriend's washing. And I'm like, what? Why am I? Why must I do? You don't even have a joint bank account. Exactly. (laughs) You know, Um, or who makes their boyfriend's lunch before they go to work? And I'm like, that's that's never going to be me. That's bizarre. That's 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 not something that I'm going to do. And I mean, even now, I mean, I know of a person who who got married and stopped studying. Yeah. And and I was like, we have worked so hard as women. To make our rights equal, and then we do things like this, where yeah. we just we go back in time as yeah. well. So I think it's in you know important for us also to know mm. what we want. Mm. You know, yeah. we don't have to confide to this whole view of what mm. marriage or what relationship look yeah. like because you know the world is changing. Yes, it still has a lot of changing to do, but it's so different mm. to how it was a few hundred years ago. So yeah. I think it's also important for us not to. F- you know, just accept that this this is what, what it is. This is what yeah. marriage is supposed to look like. This is what we're supposed to do. Mm. Because at the end of the day, it's not, you know, if I don't want to cook for my husband and kids, I'm not going to cook for my husband and kids. <laughs> and they probably don't want me to either. Exactly. That's like, <laughs> what you want. Like. But now, I, I want to ask a question. How do you think, and this is, was not on the list of questions, so but impromptu, mm. how do you think having diverse structures, so even in the church context or in any situation, how does that help? Or does it help in this conversation around um, being anti-racist or 
growing in our understanding of how we can be, what would you call it, not so violent towards one another? I think, you know, diverse structures are all good and well, but if, for example, if the people in the church aren't willing to listen, then those diverse structures are going to do nothing. You know, I can get... You know, there can be women in leadership in the church. There can be people of color in leadership of the, in the church. But if the congregation is not willing to listen to this transformation or back in an essence, this, this mm. form of transformation, then it's not going to make a difference. Mm. Which is why, once again, when we're talking about these conversations, it needs to be the party that's not being oppressed that needs yeah. to bring up these church, conversations. Church leadership needs to be behind these structures yes and often i think people can see that they're not because it's because um, often church leadership especially so. if you have like a thinking person which i think a lot of people in our denomination are um they'll be like this is a really good idea let's do it and they do it but you can kind of like there's no buy-in from church leadership and people can see that mm. because they respect church leaders mm. and they and and they can see that there isn't this this like deep desire for things yes. to change at like at like a molecular level, sure. and that's not not even in church, like in schools. Like if the yes. principal or like the um, the board or yes, whatever yes. are also not invested, and it's just the goals or the of the mm. students, should we say, like leading these changes, then like what's the that like, is so humble. who's gonna who's yeah. gonna care? Because at the top, there is yeah. no buy-in. And that links to what... Sorry, I'm also talking a lot. No, Ellie. you go ahead. That links to what Gabby said about... Um, oh, no, what did you mean? I forgot that. That, that the, the, part, like the white people should be talking about Yes, yes. So, men, so, men, yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is super interesting. So the buy-in, mm. um, and it can be in business or anything, yeah. if, you, if you're struck, your, your people who are looked up to, your leadership. Mm-hmm. But also um, linking to what wow, Anna said, sure. I've noticed a lot in conversations around transformation in schools and and in church is that school leadership and church leadership often do it because they feel obligated yeah Yeah. they do it because they're getting backlash for it and then they're doing they're not doing it from from a place of what then the the students the the congregation can also see so yes you can take it off i did it i had a transformation talk you know people can't judge me for this Mm. but then there's no follow-up yeah there's no um you know, okay, how are we actually going to take... deep conversation. Yes. So I think it's also like, you know, it's, it's useless for someone to do have that mm. conversation if, it's, if, it's, if you're oh, doing it because you're feeling obligated to. Yeah, yeah. People have to be willing to learn. Yeah. I think that's the important part. They need to be willing to learn and be re-educated yeah. on what, what we've been programmed, taught. basically. Yeah. I think that's important as well. Sorry, this is really off topic, but I just remembered what we were talking about. Sorry, way back. Um, um, what you were talking about, how like your mom checks in on you when you're like out and stuff. That is really unique to South Africa. Mm. It's weirdly unique here mm. about how like you can't walk around at night. Yes, yes, yes. Because yes. when I was away, I did like a gap year and I would walk around at midnight when I was in, yeah, yeah. in Asia. To go to the store, yeah. and then in England, in London, safe. I'd walk from like train stations again, mm. nighttime, dark. Like my mom didn't like it, but she yeah. like, but I was completely, I never felt unsafe. Yeah. But then you come back here, and it's yeah. like I wouldn't even walk around my neighborhood, like yeah. around the block at night yeah. in South Africa. Um, except I have to say they had that hashtag ninety four percent in Britain. Oh yeah, but yeah. that was super interesting because it was harassment. Mm. So ninety four percent of women felt had been harassed, yes, had called, yeah. or uh, I'm sure there had been some violence attached to it. But isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because we've like, we're not talking about harassment. Yeah, we're, we're talking, talking about like from harassment. Well, there's a continuum. Yeah. I, I do think, I do think our history though yeah. is yeah. what yeah. makes um, 
what makes it. I mean, there are many factors and I'm not an expert on this. I do believe because from um, coloni from the co mm -hmm. colonialism mm -hmm. at times, um, there's a violence. Mm -hmm. So um, colonialism was violent, apartheid was violent, and I think men have learned to, mm. it's a learned mm. behavior yeah. we are mm. uh, we are a violent society mm. and women who are seeing because we're not as, you know from a physical point of view we're not as strong as men it's it's you always you're always exerting your violence mm. on those that are perceived to be weaker and yeah. so in this case it's, it's women and children yeah um and so i think our history in as much as many people say you know we must just get on with it unfortunately mm. It feeds and it informs so much of what is happening now. Yeah. You know, because we've never resolved it. We've but, never deprogrammed, yeah. as you've said. Um, I also think it's really difficult to do that because, yeah. like, like we've discussed, we're always having to make sure that we're feeling safe. And often, feeling safe is we're taking a step back and going back into that form where women's uh, oppressed. Yeah. Because it's feeling safe because there's a man with me in the car. Mm. You know, feeling oh, safe, that's so like that's so... Um, yeah, you yes. almost like, you have to harken back mm. to feel like that's exactly. safe. It's like to feel like I'm yeah. not. So it's difficult sure. to move yeah. on yeah. because I'm working so hard not to put myself in a position where I'm raped, where I'm feeling unsafe, where I'm oppressed. But often by doing that, I'm falling, going back. You have to depend on a man again. Exactly. Yeah. Depend yeah. on a man or depend on a white person. Uh, yeah. So I yeah. think it's, 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 oh my goodness. it's important that that also needs to be looked at. Yeah, so it's all, it's like this really horrible kind of self-fulfilling prophecy type of thing. Like it's just, mm. like just going in circles mm. the whole time um, just so that you can survive and, and, and be okay. Mm. Um, and I think so much of this, these things start at home as well. Mm. I really, like the way I've seen some father's behave is like is so bizarre to me mm -hmm. or like like and like their sons and like you'll see the son and then you see the father and you're like oh okay yeah that mm -hmm. makes sense like they're behaving mm -hmm. like that because mm -hmm. they're taught and like and like you said i think it's inherent like it's, it's like this weird inherited thing of of, mm -hmm. of this legacy of violence and of um and of not seeing women particularly women of color mm -hmm. um and and then you get into the whole colorism thing. So like, if mm. the woman's skin is darker, mm. like how little yeah. respect mm. is afforded yeah. yeah. to her, um, and that's or as you got it is beautiful. Beautiful, yes. Yeah, so. And like, and it's all learned at home. Mm. And yeah, I think it's also. I mean, for me, I still have a long way to go in terms of um, this whole reprogramming. Mm. I, I'm I'm not perfect. I still have a lot of faults, but I still find myself watching how I dress because I don't want to be cackled by yeah. a man. Yeah. Or I still find myself straightening my hair because. I don't want to be oppressed as a person of color. Mm. Um, and yes, I recognize that is wrong, but I'm so scared that I'm going to fall into that position of being the oppressed mm. that I'd rather fit in with society's views so mm. that I'm not in that position because honestly, that position is not a good one to be in. Mm. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's, you know, we have to almost change, reprogram the whole world because yeah. I think <laughs> it's, it's not going to, you know, yes, we can start as a small and we can carry on doing it. Um, but until everybody is willing to mm. relearn and be involved in this we're always going to as Hannah said mm. carry on going in that circle and, and, and that and it's the relearning before the relearning you have to I'm come learning. You have to come to the place of getting what we're talking about and mm. I think so many people aren't even there it's yeah. like it's just they're just not there for whatever reason so I guess we've got like nine yeah. minutes left I think what I would like to ask mm. like what what are, what, are the, what are the glimmers of... So, yeah. I've got my glimmers of hope. 
which are usually sitting here. Mm. I feel extremely ho- hopeful, mm. these two beautiful young women. And I wish that, like I, I, I think Hayley and I would, would both say, mm. hey, hells, like if we were this yeah. woke, when we were this young, yeah. it would have, you know, yeah. it would have changed a lot for us. I think... Um, so what are your little glimmers of hope? If you've well, made, so, you know, yeah. I think yeah, we often do speak about all the things that are going wrong, but there are, I mean, um, on the campus I'm on, which is the medical campus for Stellenbosch University, the diversity compared to how it was years ago is so much mm. different. I mean, I now have more friends of colour, mm. um, you know, and, and not even just, but now, uh, I mean, people of Afrikaans culture as well. Um, so I think seeing that the diversity is, you know, slowly happening, or mm. they'd not be, hap- be happening as fast as we wanted to, mm. compared to years back, I think there's still a lot of change to happen. But when you look back to how it was, there is a lot of hope that that change is still going to be happening, whether it be in our time or not. Yeah. Um, yeah but I, your time. I also do that. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's people are starting to speak up more. Yeah. Um, and people, you know, not keep quiet, but also call out people. Mm, yeah. I know, I know. Last year, when, or not last year, when gender based violence was brought up, we'd often go to the boys and be like, "But why aren't you talking about yeah. this?" Yeah. Because you know, normally we'd stand back and be like, "Okay, it's our job. We need to raise awareness about this." But then we'd we'd tell them to their face and we'd ask them, you know, this is something that you need to be behind, else it's not going to get back. Mm-hmm. So I think people are standing up. And also, you know, there has been changed compared to years before us. So I think, you know, just to remember that as well. Although it's frustrating to see change not happening as fast as we'd like it to be. Um, It has happened over the past few years. And you, Han? I think, like, I love love South Africa. I think it's, like, such an incredible country. And I think, like I've said, we we do focus a lot on what's wrong with it. And because there is a lot wrong with it. Mm. Um, But... I just think it's such a young country, which mm-hmm. we also forget. It's, young democracy. It's a yeah. young, we are in our infancy as a real true South Africa, yes. not like South Africa that was, you know, started by colonialists and an apartheid government, but a South Africa that has a real chance of, of making it. Mm. And I think realizing that and reminding yourself of that, that it is young, that we've got time, and um, is um, is very encouraging. And when you are, you know, if we could just implement our constitution, which is like the best constitution <laughs> in the world, I think this country has, yeah. I don't think we've even begun to see how amazing, yeah. you know, and how far we could go. Um, and I think just seeing young people talk about this, like young um, people from the schools I went to and like how vocal they are, people younger than me, people my age and and um, and how how and like young guys like my friends how they've changed so much from when they were in high school to where they are now um it's really encouraging and it's just encouraging to see that change you can change Mm. you can relearn and Mm. unlearn and relearn and and become better and like i say i I feel completely safe with my guy friends Mm. i in high school I, I wasn't really like, I didn't really like having, being around males, mm-hmm. um, partly because I went to like all girls schools, mm-hmm. but also because guys weren't like very safe for me. Mm-hmm. And now I'm completely safe and they and they they always want to make sure that I'm safe mm-hmm. and comfortable and that's incredibly encouraging to me, mm-hmm. coming from a place of feeling almost inherently distrustful of, of, mm-hmm. of male figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing my brothers, how they are, um, you know, how they, like the young men, in our lives, like in our families, like how they are changing the narrative and how they are just so different from the young boys I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's encouraging. So yeah. 
Thank you so much, Hannah and Gabby. Oh, it's been wonderful listening to younger women than yeah. us and very so. encouraging to see that these conversations are happening even in the younger generation. So, listeners, um, yeah, let us know how you find this podcast. We love your comments and um, yeah, have a till next time.